four now. First week we talked about the Bible, talked about its importance and how critical it is to our lives and, um, and our walk with Jesus. And then a couple weeks ago, Brian laid it on pretty good about discipleship, about being discipled as well as discipling somebody, having a Paul and a Peter in our lives, right? A Paul, someone who's leading us, and a Peter, someone that we're leading, someone that we're pouring into as well as getting poured into. Um, and I asked the question, if we aren't being discipled, are we really a disciple? And so I think that's a question only we can answer for ourselves. Um, but it's important that, we are, uh, that we're being discipled. It's important that we're growing. It's important that we're in a relationship with somebody that's pouring into us spiritually so that we can grow as well as be called out sometimes. I don't know about y'all, but every once in a while I need to be called out. My son-in-law is pretty good about doing that for me at times. Um, sometimes welcome, sometimes not so much. Uh, but he knows me pretty well, so I take it okay, and I usually dish it back. So uh, we, have a really, we have a really good relationship that way. So if you need somebody in your life that's, that's really important. And then last week, we really talked about forgiving ourselves, and uh, I kind of jumped back several years, and I remember, uh, I think I told you last week, I remember a message by a guy named Ed Young, and he called the, the forgiveness word the real F word, right? Because it's something that we really struggle with sometimes in our lives is that idea of forgiveness, um, and really three things that we're only covering two of, but forgiving ourselves, forgiving others. And then we're going to look at this morning the idea of forgiving, um, forgiving God sometimes. And, uh, and we'll replace that word a little bit in a minute. But one of the things we found out last week is that a lot of you have been to jail. And, um, and so I, we upped security this week for that reason. And um, yeah, and so, uh, and, and several of you apparently still have warrants out for your arrest. So we're, uh, we're, no, we're, we're, but we're, we're really praying for you this morning that God will do a work in your, in your life and that you'll turn yourself in. So, um, you know, I, some, the question I think sometimes we ask, and this is, a really, um, this is a really personal message for me because it's a journey that I've been on for several years and probably several of you as well. Um, and so, you know, don't be surprised if the, if the crying pastor comes out at some point this morning. But, but the idea of forgiving God when he doesn't show up right? This, 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 this thought and this process in our lives that we have of where were you <laughs> here? Where were you here? Where were you here, right? And sometimes we really, I think, would like to put God in a box and say that he's going to do these things and this is how he works. And just when we do that, he says, ha ha, gotcha. <laughs> Doesn't work like that, right? Um, and we'd like for it to. We'd like for our lives to just be easy and smooth, and wouldn't it be great if when we accepted Jesus, we didn't live in a sinful world anymore, and that bad things didn't happen to good people, and I think that's even a piece of where this goes this morning, but, you know, I think sometimes it's even comes out in, in watching others get blessed. Um, you know, somebody tithes for the first, you ever been in a small group of somebody or known somebody, and they show up and like, man, I tithed for the first time last week. Okay, so you've been tithing for years, right? You've been giving God 10%, 20%, whatever it is, 3%, I don't care, just that we we're cheerful givers and we give God what's his. But, you know, this person shows up and they say, man, I gave, I gave, I gave like, you know, 10% last week, I gave him a couple hundred bucks. And I walked, I walked to my mailbox Monday morning, there's a check for a thousand bucks. God bless me. You're like, wait a minute. I've been giving for like 10 years. Where's my thousand dollar check, right? Why did he show up for me like that? And it's okay to feel that way, by the way, because we're human. Okay. So don't, you know, don't be like, oh, I shouldn't laugh at that because that's not, that's never been me. It's totally been me, right? We've all kind of been there. Um, maybe we've prayed for a healing for our dog, right? That miraculously would be healed of whatever. And thousands of dollars later, it doesn't happen, right? And our dog dies. And, and, we're, and we're devastated by that, you know? Um, we're, we've prayed for that. Uh, we have that friend that like prayed for a soulmate, you know, somebody like this? Friend that prayed for a soulmate for years and, uh, and George Clooney shows up, right? 
And George Clooney's this, this amazing looking guy. He's got half the Bible memorized and, you know, he's got a job and he makes all this great money. And, you know, he and they're getting married. Three weeks later, he proposes and they've memorized 1 Corinthians 13 together for their wedding. And every time you see him, you just want to, uh, right? Because they're just as, <laughs> like, would you just knock it off? Like, right? You've totally been there, haven't you? Right? Okay. So I, you, you're, you know, right where I'm at. Um, you've been praying for years for a soulmate. Yours hasn't shown up. You're frustrated. You're irritated. Where is God? Why hasn't my George Clooney shown up, right? Why hasn't my Rachel McAdams showed up? Um, okay. Where is she? I can't find her. I just keep watching the notebook over and over again. That's, that's as close as I can get to my soulmate, right? So we've had those moments, right? And, and we wonder, where is God? Why isn't he showing up for us? And as silly as that is, man, for some of us, that's really personal, right? I mean, we've been on this journey for a while, and we've, and we've looked for this right person, and maybe we've picked the wrong person and gotten into a wrong relationship, right? And, and it's ended in disaster, and we're wondering, where was God when that was going on? How did I, how did I make that kind of decision, and, and, and why did I make that? And where was God, right? And so, you know, you've prayed, and you've had faith, and you believed, and you're afraid to say it out loud because it would sound like doubt, but the question is, where are you, God? Why haven't you shown up in fill-in-the-blank area in my life? Where have you been? And so, um, like I said, for many of us, this is kind of a personal thing, and this is something that I've walked, and so um, in, in very personal ways, for, for in a lot of different ways throughout my life, especially the last four or five years, but um, maybe for you, that's still something you're walking through, and maybe you're still just angry with God, and you're frustrated with God because you feel like He wasn't there for you when He should have been there. Um, and that same is true for me sometimes. But remember those two words we talked about last week? But God, right? Say it with me. But God. Jesus, as we dig into your word right now, Father, I pray, and man, that you'll just open up our eyes to, to, the, to the incredible sovereign nature of who you are, the incredible power that you yield, yet you love us personally, yet you created us individually, you made us who we are, Lord, and you understand exactly why we respond to things that we do the way that we do. And for each of us, that's a little different. But more than anything this morning, God, I pray that you'll remind us that you really do love us, that you really do have our best in mind, that even when things don't go according to what we want to see, that even when the blessings don't come, that even when the healings don't come, that even when the spouse doesn't show up, even when expectations aren't met, that, that Jesus, you still, you still love us and you're right here for us. So remind us of that this morning, or maybe for the first time, pierce our hearts with that truth as we dig into your word. We love you, Jesus. We trust you because we know that you're here and we know that you're in this place. So Holy Spirit, unleash yourself on us in these moments as we share. In Jesus' name, amen. So reconcile might be a better word than forgive. Um, but I think for the idea of what we're talking about this morning, I really want to use that word forgive because I think it pierces sort of how we feel sometimes and we can relate to that. Uh, first of all, we don't have anything to forgive God for because he's never sinned. All right. He's never done anything wrong. So let me just, let me just kind of lay that foundation. You don't have anything to forgive God for. It really comes back to honestly forgiving ourselves, maybe forgiving our attitudes. But at times it feels like we really do need to just Man, I forgive you, God, for not being there for me. And as ridiculous as that sounds, for us, 
that's a very real thing, right? It's a very real feeling. It's a very real emotion that we go through. Um, and so as we, as we kind of unpack this, you can replace that word if you want in your mind, but um, the bottom line is we have to learn to trust God again even through that. Um, and when we feel like we've been wronged by God, that he wasn't listening or he didn't answer, we're disappointed with his answer. Um, and so as we dig into this this morning, if you'll turn to John chapter 11, we're going to park there. We're going to go through 41 verses and 18 points uh, that I have for you this morning. I know it went a little long last week, so I cut it back from 30 points to 18 this week. Um, so we'll only be here for another hour and a half. It's going to be good, I promise. So settle in. Um, we're going to look at the story of, um, of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And uh, we're going to call them the Smiths for this morning because we don't really know their last name. So we're just going to call them the Smiths this morning so I can group them in together when I'm talking about them at times. So when I say the Smiths, we're talking about all three of them together uh, in this story this morning. And we're going to look at kind of forgiving God from two different angles. One of those is from our perspective, and one of those is from God's perspective. Because those are very, very different things for us. Um, over here, we have what, what, what our perspective is and what we think God should do. And over here, we have God working behind the scenes and doing things that we don't know about, doing things that we don't understand, doing things that we probably would completely freak us out if we knew, right? How he's working and what he's going to do. And sometimes um, those are very different, but we have to at some point marry those things. At some point, we have to reconcile those things together in our minds and in our hearts so that we can be where we are and God can be where he is and we can trust him. And remember, we talked about a couple weeks ago, when my faith and God's faithfulness intersect, what happens? Miracles, right? Miracles happen when my faith and God's faithfulness intersect. And so we all want to see that happen in our lives. So we're going to dig through this familiar passage this morning, and we're going to look at both sides of this, of this thing called God's plan in our lives. Um, we're going to start in verse 1. Looks like this, and you can read along with me. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So what he's telling us is there's some perspective here. There's a relationship here. They've already known one another. Um, they're, they're, they're friends, and so Jesus knows who they are. They know who Jesus is. So there's some, there's some background here um, as to what's happening, and that's what he's reminding us of. Verse 3 says, So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And we don't really know a lot about Lazarus' relationship with Jesus, but we know that they're friends. We know that they clicked, and, and from spending time together, and there's not a lot of background on this, so there's not a lot of scripture to like dig up and go, well, here was their relationship. We just know that based on this, that she sends a message to Jesus and says, the one you love is sick. So we know that there's a personal relationship there. We know that there's a friendship there, right? And we know that something is beyond just kind of a casual, just a casual like, hey, we're buds. Like there's a, there's a love for one another there. Jesus knew this family was close to him. Um, and let me just give you an angle. How many of you have an attorney friend? How many of you have a friend that's an attorney? How many of you expect that friend to fix your tickets? All right, fair enough, right? We all have that guy. I can tell you mine. I'll give you the number right after the service. Right? I know who I call when I get a ticket. I've got a guy, right? And some of us have an attorney in our family, so we don't have to pay for it, right? It's this guy. We just, we just call, and he takes care of stuff for us, right? How many of you have a doctor in your family? Anybody have a doctor? Yeah, Deb totally does this because she gets all her prescriptions from her mom. It's a beautiful thing, right? Like, you just call your mom, and you have that expectation that when you call your mom, she's going to help you, right? She's not going to say to you, sorry, good luck with that. Hope you don't die, <laughs> right? Why don't you call Chris and go ahead and get some funeral preps going because I'm not writing a script for that antibiotic this week. By the way, message is brought to you again this week by Scooters. Um, thank you, Macy. 
Um, and so, you know, we expect this person who's a doctor to fill these needs for us, right? They're going to take care of us. How many of you have a plumber in your family? Plumbers are an amazing thing to have in your family. I just found that out a couple of weeks ago as Rachel decided to shove a bunch of chicken down the garbage disposal that wouldn't clog, unclog. And let me tell you, I'm not a plumber. Um, can I just tell you, I'm not a plumber, all right? I'm plunging like a toilet plunger in the sink. I'm told you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, it's a bad idea. Um, and all I did was push it down about 30 feet. So what could have cost us, you know, like 100 bucks up front cost us, I don't know, like 1050 or something because we just kept going to Home Depot and buying stuff. So Chris could not fix it. Because um, if you know Chris, you know that you don't ask Chris to fix things. You call Chris's friends Dean to come fix things. Like you just, this is not somebody that you call, okay? So if you get in trouble and you need something fixed, don't call me. If you're in the hospital dying, listen, I'm there, okay? That's my gift. I will come pray for you until kingdom come. Do not call me to fix your stuff because I'm going to make it worse and it's going to cost you double what it would have cost you to call somebody in the first place, all right? Just laying that out there. Anybody who knows me knows this to be true. Some of us have mechanics in our families. Corey and I found out this week that we're not mechanics. I don't know why I keep saying yes to this crap. Like, seriously, you would think that I would learn. The one thing I learned years and years ago, okay, so Rachel 1.0, let me help you here. Okay, I've got Rachel 1.0 and I have Rachel 2.0. So when I talk about 1.0, I'm talking about my Rachel that was that was, the, you know, that, was, that was first. And then I talk about Rachel 2.0. So just so you know who's who, when I started 1.0, threw papers for years. We threw papers together. We would literally spend Thanksgiving night because they did the big thing on, good, on, on Black Friday. You remember getting the, the examiner in Independence? I don't know how many of you got this, but it was like this thick, right? Somebody had to roll that. Guess who it was? It was us. And it was a party. We had all the family over, all the kids over. Sometimes we asked friends over. We ordered pizza. We rolled papers till the middle of the night. And then we go throw papers out the side of the minivan with the door open when it was like 12 degrees out. It was, it was really a lot of fun. But so I had to learn to do breaks because we literally went through breaks like constantly. So my brother-in-law showed me how to do breaks. So, you know, I can do brake pads. I can do rotors. I'm not going to do a caliper because I don't know how to bleed the system, although Mike told me he'd teach me. So that's going to be something that, that Corey and I are going to learn because McMillan's going to teach us how to do that. So what happened this week was we tried to replace some brake pads on a car, and apparently the caliper was frozen and wouldn't go in. Now, there's this cylinder inside a caliper, and it's this round thing, right? And it's inside a round thing. <laughs> just, just walk with me. The round thing wouldn't go into the round thing, okay? So we're YouTube in this <laughs> Were you two? How does what is going on here? And at one point, I thought I fixed it. And I looked at Corey straight in the face. I said, Don't you ever tell anybody that I fixed this. Don't you even think about telling somebody that I got this done. And then I looked at it and I was like, It's still stuck. <laughs> so we go down to O'Reilly and I rent a tool, which I forgot to take back and I need to take back. They rent tools. And, um, and I tried this caliper pusher thingy. And we're both like, we're both just like, I mean, like, we got marks on our hands, like, we got blood coming out our eyes, I'm, I'm, nothing's happening, right? And so we just put the old brake pads back on, so good luck to the person driving that car. But anyway, <laughs> we're just going to pray for Allie this week. No, but so I, what we ran into is that, first of all, this is not my gift, and I don't know why I keep doing it, but second of all, like, it's really handy to have a mechanic in the family. So if you have one, if you could give me their number at the end of the service... I'd really appreciate it. Those things are great to have around, and we have expectations for those people, right? We expect them to help us. 
We expect them to be good at what they do. We expect them to come alongside us sometimes, right? And so now I want you to suppose for just a minute that Jesus is your personal friend. And by that, I understand that Jesus is our personal friend because we have a relationship with him. But I want you to think about living in Bible times, and you've got a relationship with Jesus. Like, he's your friend. Not only is he your friend, but he loves you. Like, he, I mean, you're close, right? You've got to close this box of donuts because I just want to come down here and grab one. Um, I'm not playing. He spent time with him. He was a brother, um, is one of his besties. And you just figure that Jesus is going to fix whatever may come his way. Um, in fact, you're such good friends that you're, you're in Scripture. Like, Lazarus made it to Scripture. That's how <clears throat> close they were as friends. The word expectation has this definition in the, in, the, in the dictionary. It says this, it's a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. It's a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future, or a belief that someone will or should achieve something. That's what an expectation is. How many of you ever had your expectations not met? Right? Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, right? Um, how many times, right? Like over and over and over again, we, we, we have our expectations not met. Like we get up in the morning and we expect the sun to be shining, right? We get in our car, we expect it to start. We, get, we, we turn on a switch in our house, and we expect the electricity to be on unless we don't pay our bill. Um, we expect the water to run, right? I mean, I expect my water heater to kick out warm water when I want to take a jacuzzi bath, right? Or a, a nice hot shower after being out working on a car that I couldn't fix. Um, we expect our spouse to be faithful, right? We expect my kids to be good, right? <laughs> I see that hand. I see that hand. Um, we expect to eat three times a day, right? We expect to be healthy. We expect to live long lives. And we expect God to show up. Sometimes he doesn't do that way, the way that we think he should. And so scripture says, when he heard this in verse four, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. So the other side of this You've got, you've got you know, Mary and Mar- the Smiths over here expecting that Jesus is going to take care of Lazarus, they, Lazarus because they sent a message. And over here on God's side of things, you've got Jesus saying, listen, it's not going to end in death. And they don't know this conversation has taken place over here because he's talking to his disciples. So there's all this stuff happening behind the scenes, right, that, that the Smiths don't know about. And so that's very easy for us to understand because we don't know what's happening over here with Jesus sort of coordinating things right behind the scenes. Um, And Jesus doesn't really respond to the message that's sent. He didn't send a message back. He didn't, like, there was, it was just kind of silence. He didn't say, well, you know, I'll take care of it. He says this to his disciples. And what we have to understand is that his ways are not our own. Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says this, My thoughts aren't your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I'm God, and you're not, is basically what that says. It's a great Stephen Curtis Chapman song called, uh, that, that, that totally spells that. It's such a beautiful thing. God is God, and I'm not. And so all I can do is trust him, right? And so we have to look at this from both sides. Verse 5 says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Lazarus. He loved the smiths. He, 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 he had a relationship just like them. 
Um, and I question sometimes, do we get that he really loves us? I mean, do we really grasp that? Do we really understand that he loves us? And do we really get that he has plans for us? And do we always get that we don't get it? Like, do we always get that we don't get it? We don't always see the other side of what's happening to us. They knew that he loved them, and it leads us to think, to think that somehow who loves us won't allow us to be hurt, right? I mean, doesn't that make sense? Do you expect your loved ones to hurt you? No, you don't, right? And so we have that same expectation for God sometimes that he's not going to hurt us. But let me be clear, he's not out to hurt us. He's out to bless us. He's out to teach us. He's out to grow us. He's out to make us stronger in our faith. He's out to love our kids. He's out to love our spouse, right? So we have to realize that his ways aren't our own, and we can't put God in a human box. We can't expect the same things from God that we expect from one another, because he says his ways are higher than ours. His thoughts aren't ours. His expectations and his plans are higher than ours. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he immediately jumped a Southwest flight and went to heal him. Of course, he couldn't get there because Southwest computers were down and he got stuck in Denver. He didn't heal Lazarus via carrier pigeon. He didn't send the disciples to take care of it. Like, he didn't do anything. Do you understand this? He didn't do anything. Nothing happened at this moment. And I promise you that Mary and Martha's expectation was that he was going to walk through the door at any moment and heal Lazarus. He stayed where he was two more days. He did what? You mean his friend who he loved was sick and he hung out in Bethany for two more days, really? What kind of a friend does that? Like if you call me and tell me you're stuck on the side of the road, I'm going to come help you. I mean, we're going to call a wrecker because I ain't fixing your car, but I'm going to come, I mean, at least to get you in my warm car, right? I mean, if you call me and you're in crisis, I promise you as your pastor and your friend, I'm going to show up. I will be there as fast as humanly possible, but Jesus doesn't do that. And that's really hard for us to understand, isn't it? If we're honest, it's really hard for us to understand because it's the same thing in our lives. He stayed there two more days, and then he said to his, to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. So he has a convo with his disciples. He, he tells them what their plans are. And after he said this in verse 11, he went on to tell them that our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go there and wake him up. So we're two days out, and like us, Mary and Martha have no idea what's happening. And these days, um, when someone passes away, you bury them quickly. Because it's not pleasant if you don't, right? They didn't have embalming fluid. They didn't go down to Royer Funeral Home around the corner and, you know, preserve the body. There was none of that. They, they, they treated the body with herbs. They wrapped it in cloths, and they put it in a tomb. Because it didn't take long for that body to start to decompose. Um, and so they're in a time of grief and mourning, right? I mean, they're really trying to understand what's happening here. They're questioning God. They sent a message. There's no evidence they heard back. Um, in fact, why didn't they hear back? Like, why didn't he tell them, I'll be there in a couple days? Just chill out. Right? I got this. Right? I got that on my arm. God's got this. Why didn't he? And he answers that question 
a little bit earlier, we're going to come back to that, but, you know, there was no like, don't worry, Mike's got this, right? <laughs> Nobody had it, all right? Nobody had it. He died. He fell asleep. This is a friend of Jesus. The disciple assumed he was really sleeping because if you know anything about what I think about the disciples, they're amazing, amazing men of God, but man, they could be boneheads sometime, which brings me comfort because they walked and talked with Jesus and they still struggled to understand, right? So it makes me feel pretty good about the fact that I don't always understand because they could really be boneheads, right? And this is what they say. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead because they didn't get that he was asleep. Though. Oh, he's just sleeping. He's going to go wake him up. Wake up. No, he was gone. And verse 15 says, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. These disciples still, I mean, he's still walking the disciples through believing that he's the Messiah, that he's the Christ, right? And as much as they're in process, how much more are we? So sometimes let's give ourselves a break, right? Sometimes let's just, it's okay. I don't understand. I don't get it. Even the men who walked with Jesus didn't always get it, right? And I certainly don't always get it. I mean, I have 15 doctorates, and I don't even understand. I'm just kidding. I don't even understand, like, what he's doing, right? And I think this story is revealing about Jesus, and I think it's revealing about God because his attitude towards our adversity is not the same as ours. When we get in adversity, we expect God to show up and show up right now. But Jesus says, it's not my first inclination to fix it. It's not my first thought to make you feel better in this moment because I'm working things behind the scenes over here that you don't know about. You remember I talked about last week, have you ever seen a beautiful tapestry, right? Have you ever seen just a beautiful tapestry? And when you flip it around, what's it look like? It looks like trash, right? That's all the stuff going on behind the scenes that makes this beautiful tapestry happen in our lives. And as God weaves our lives and as God works in our lives and as God reveals himself in our lives, the backside of that is painful and it looks like trash, but the other side of it, we realize is God weaving a beautiful thing together in our lives if we'll allow him to. And that's really the key, if we'll allow him to. He says, I'm glad I wasn't there because I want you to believe and I also want God to be glorified through this. Because in times of trial, when we're put through the fire, the question that comes to our minds is, do I really believe? Do I really trust? Do I really have faith? Regardless of what I think the outcome should be, do I trust God that even if the outcome isn't what I want it to be, that He still loves me? That He's still sovereign? That He still has plans? That He's still working all things together for my good? That He has plans I don't know anything about? That He has a life and a life of abundance planned for me even when he doesn't show up the way I think he should show up. I've been there, all right? I walked with my wife as she passed. Some of you have been there. I, I, I begged God for healing. My plans were not God's plans. There was not a desire in my heart that my, my daughters and son would have to bury their mother. That didn't figure into my plans. Nowhere. Nowhere in 1996 when we got married did I think that at 43 years old I would bury my wife and the mother of my children. 
Those are not my plans. And I told God about it. I gave him the finger and I walked away. And in those moments, we find out really fast if we believe. We find out really fast what our relationship with God is like. And I still regret that I was so mad at God that I said, you can chuck it, man. I've served you for 20 years in ministry. I am broke and my wife is dying. Shove it. I threw away about $2,000 worth of my pastor's library. I remember going to the dump. It was one of the happiest moments of my life. But it's also a moment where I realize in that moment that God began to do some things. That God was over here working in the background because there were areas of my life that I had never surrendered and probably had she not gone on to be with Jesus, I never would have. There are things that God wanted to work in my life that he's worked that never would have been worked had she not gone on to be with Jesus. I think my kids would tell you the same thing. And here's what it comes down to. And here's what I had to do. I had to be okay with saying, God, I, I forgive you for me being a schmuck. God didn't do anything wrong. In fact, he worked some pretty big miracles through it. But we have to trust him in that. And we have to be okay with God working his plans behind the scenes when we don't understand. There's a great old song, and the greatest line maybe that I've ever heard in a song is this. When you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. When you can't trace what God's doing, just trust his heart for you. Verse 17 says this. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days now. So it took a couple of days for him to get there. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. It's only two miles away, man. Like, seriously. Couldn't have hopped a Southwest jet. 19 says this, And many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Mary, or excuse me, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, realize that they're dealing with grief in very different ways. Martha runs out to meet Jesus, and Mary stays home. They're dealing with this in very different ways, just as we do, right? Um, Martha's like, I know you've got an answer, Jesus, and I have to think that Mary's sitting here over, I mean, probably kind of where I was, right? Where were you? So Martha said, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died, and I don't know that, I, you know, you got to think, what did, what, if somebody said that to us, right, if you'd have been here, everything would have been fine. I mean, our first reaction is like, well, pff, in your ear, like, sorry, right? But that's not Jesus' reaction at all. In fact, she goes on to say, but I know that even now God will give whatever you ask. Like, she has faith even through this. Her approach is that she still trusts him that he can fix this, and not that he's going to. And I wonder, like us, you know, good friends with the Savior of the world, the Messiah, like, what good did it do in this moment, right? Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, well, of course he will. I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. 
right? She's thinking temporal. Jesus is thinking eternal, right? She's caught in the moment, but God's working all things together. She's stuck thinking, yeah, I'll see him again when we all rise again. He's thinking, no, 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 you're going to see him again in a few minutes. So watch this. He speaks to her perspective. In 25, he says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. This is, I love this verse. I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. That's not just a promise for her. That's a promise for us. Hold on to that. Even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will what? Never die. Man, that's powerful stuff right there. Will never die. Do you believe this? He makes it personal. Martha, do you believe this? It's critical that she understands this. She had lost her brother. She's not in the headspace to deal with this. She may have felt like the person that says at the funeral, and I know you guys know these people, they come up to you and say, God has a plan. It's going to be okay. They're in a better place. Does anybody ever want to smack that person? I know we mean well when we say this. Let me just give you a little advice. (laughs) From... 25 years of pastoring, the best thing we can do when somebody's dealing with grief is just listen because we don't have the answers, all right? Yeah, they are in a better place. It doesn't make us feel any better. (laughs) Does God got this? Yep, he's got it. He's got a plan. This sucks. I don't need sunshine blowing up my butt right now. I just need you to like grieve with me, right? And And that's exactly what Jesus does here right? It's all going to work together. I'm, he's going to raise again. And for a moment, she's got to be thinking, that is the last thing I want to hear out of your mouth, that I'm going to see him again someday. Like it, I mean, I'm just thinking that would be my reaction, right? Thanks, Jesus. Appreciate it. Where were you? Why didn't you show up? And so from the other side, Jesus doesn't say, how, sir, how dare you question me? He doesn't come back at her like that. His response is comfort, and he makes a promise. In verse 27, yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you're the Messiah. I believe you're the Son of God who is to come into the world. She knows who he is. She has faith in him. She knows that he's performed miracles. She's seen him work. She's friends with him. She's ministered to him as he's ministered to her. And Martha runs to get Mary and everyone else and runs back out to meet him. And verse 32 says this, when Mary comes out and reaches the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, I mean, Jesus got to be like frustrated at this point. That's twice in five minutes. I get that had I been here, he'd be fine. I understand, right? But that's not what he does. And, and Mary's, I think, in a place of anger. I just, you, you've got to believe she's not there. I mean, she had to go back and get her. Like, she didn't want to see Jesus because he wasn't there for her at that moment, or what she thought, anyway, wasn't there for her at that moment. And in verse 33, Jesus says this, when Jesus saw her weeping and the, Jews who had, and the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. I love this reaction by Jesus because it shows us his humanity and it also shows us his compassion as our Savior. He was moved and troubled by the loss of his friend. Do you realize that Jesus calls us his friends? Do you realize that Jesus calls us his children? 
do you really think that when we go through what we go through, that he's not there and he doesn't understand? But it doesn't mean, listen, it doesn't mean that he's going to respond the way that we think he should. And that's what's hard. Because they had expectations for Jesus that they felt like weren't met, just like we do. Just like we do. Verse 34, Jesus says, where have you laid him? And they say, come and see, Lord, they replied. And verse 35, Jesus wept. He wept. In all of his humanity, in all of his emotion, God wept. Just let that sink in for a minute. He didn't say anything. He didn't try to come up with the right words. He just wept. He was broken. I wonder, did he wish he had come sooner? In his humanity, right? Did he... Did he not understand the impact of Lazarus' death that would have on so many people? Like, did he, did he regret his plan? Was he troubled? I don't know. It's going to be a great question to ask because he knows that he's omniscient. He understands all of it, right? But in that moment, I wonder in his humanity that he thought, man, I wish, I'd have, I wish I'd have done something different. But regardless of all that, Jesus wept. And I think it's the same response we have to understand that he has for us. He understands that even when he doesn't do what we want him to do, that he feels that. But he's still working. He understands our grief. He understands our pain. He's been tempted in every way that we have, but he's still working behind the scenes. He's still got a plan. He still has something working. And because he loves us, He sent the Holy Spirit for us to be our comforter, to hold us in those moments. He says the Holy Spirit is as close as a friend. He didn't leave us alone. In verse 36, the Jews said, see how he loved his friend as Jesus wept. I mean, seriously, how powerful is the Messiah standing there weeping? Such a powerful moment. Verse 37 says, but some of them said, could he not have opened the eyes of the blind men and have kept this man from dying? Like, how could he have performed all these miracles and not been there? Nobody got it. Like, nobody under, everybody's ticked at Jesus. Like, nobody gets it. Where were you? You just off healing somebody else? What were you doing, right? Why weren't you here? Literally, everyone was baffled. Everyone was frustrated. Everyone had doubts. Everyone wondered If he could be trusted, everyone questioned Jesus in that moment, just like us, okay? Just like us. And I'm going to read a bunch of verses here. Watch this. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Verse 39, take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been in there for four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Even as he's, even as he's getting ready to work things together, right? There's, she's still like, the guy's been dead for four days. Like, what are you going to do? 
like his body is rotting. You can't like, he's what? (laughs) And Jesus says, listen, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up to the father and said, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And I have to think that the heavens shook, right? That lightning that we saw last week with Paul, right? I mean, like the heavens shook and something happened, right? And everybody standing there is like, yeah, okay, good one. Like, what are you, David Copperfield? We're going to see a show. What? <laughs> like, what's happening here? Lazarus, come forth. I love this. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. So it's like the mummy movie. This guy's walking out of the tomb. You got to be thinking, what happens when the cloth falls off? Is he like missing half his nose? Like what's happening here, right? But when Jesus heals, he heals completely. He says, take the grave clothes off and let him go because he's healed. I fixed it. And I did it so that you would believe that I am the Son of Man and to give glory to God. There is not one time in Scripture where Jesus heals somebody and it's not a complete healing. He didn't heal the guy who was lame and couldn't walk and say, here's a prescription, go get some physical therapy so you can learn to walk again. He healed him completely. Do you realize what a miracle that is for like somebody to stand up and walk that's never walked before? Have you ever seen somebody who's had a stroke, who's been sick, who can't get up and walk? And they go through months and sometimes years of therapy to walk again. Jesus heals them. It's that done that quick, right? When Jesus healed the eyes, that person saw. And I can tell you when you begin to see and you haven't seen for a little bit, it's a little wonky, all right? Things are a little wonky. They don't experience that. They were healed completely. Everything was done. And Jesus showed up in that moment and healed Lazarus. But God right? But God. And here's what I know. God uses things in our lives to draw us to him. Trusting him is to trust that his plans are not ours and that we don't see the other side. And when verses 23 through 25, when Martha understood it, she accepted it. Jesus wept. He understands our pain. He's okay with our question. He'd rather us yell at him in anger than walk away. It is okay. He created us. He gets it. He created our emotions. He created us the way that he created us. And he understands that we don't always understand. But the other side of that is, he's working. And he's still there. I love the idea of a river, right, that moves. And that, and that, and that is constantly flowing and it's always different. We put our hand in the river and the river's still moving. And our lives are like that river. We're always moving and God's hand is always right there, right? He's always steady. And when we don't understand, it's not the fact that he's pulled his hand back and he's been like, well, good luck to you. No, he's still right there. We just have to move back towards him. And we just have to trust him again. And we just have to forgive him when we feel like he didn't do what he wanted us to do, what what we wanted him to do. Just because we don't see God moving doesn't mean that he's not moving. Just because we don't think he hears us doesn't mean that he doesn't hear us. Just because he doesn't grant your wishes like a genie doesn't mean that he's not working 
to do things. Is the answer always yes? No, it's not. Sometimes the answer is a resounding, really loud, really painful, really awful no. But we know that he's working. And that's where our faith and God's faithfulness have to intersect. Because until our faith allows us to trust in his faithfulness, and that's a really tough thing sometimes, until those things intersect, we're just, we're just out here floating around. But the moment that they do, miracles happen in our lives if we will allow them to, if we will trust God with our kids, if we will trust God with our loved one that's sick, if we will trust God with our own sickness, if we'll trust God with our marriage, if we'll trust God with our finances, if we'll trust God with our relationships, miracles happen in ways that we can't begin to think of or imagine. God shows up for us. When we can't trace his hand, all we can do is trust his heart. Let's pray. In these moments, I just I want us to just be really honest with God. Because I think, in fact, I know that there are probably some of us here that are really struggling with, with letting God off the hook. And maybe it's some small corner, or maybe it's just really profound in your life. But as you're sitting here, you realize, man, this is totally me. Like, I... I have got to give this stuff over to God. And I've got, to, I've got to forgive him and trust him and know that he has what's best for me. Psalm 142.2, David says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint before I tell him my trouble. He really does understand. He really does get it. We have to fight this idea of self-pity and entitlement that just because I ask, he has to do it. And we have to believe that God has a purpose for what he permitted, that we be patient and for clarity of his purposes, that we submit to his plan. I've been in dark places with people. Over the years, I have done funerals for babies that we wondered why. I have stood at the graveside of young people who have passed and old. I've seen unimaginable tragedies in the emergency room with miracles that never came and prayers that were seemingly never answered. But God. There's always this but God thing there. And God wants to work and perform a miracle. And again, maybe that's not what you want. And maybe it's not what I want. But he's working all things together for our good. And we have to believe that or we don't. And so, Father, tonight, this morning, excuse me, as we, as we, as we sit here. Lord, I pray that um, just as we've talked the last couple of weeks about being a people of forgiveness and being a people who may not understand the hurts that others throw on us, that we may not understand the guilt we feel, sometimes the shame that, God, just as we forgive ourselves and we forgive others, that, Lord, we have to move past 
being angry with you and being frustrated with you because you didn't do what we asked. Lord, I pray for that person that's here this morning that's struggling to trust you in some area of their life. Maybe because they feel like you failed them or maybe you just haven't shown up yet in the way that they think you should. But God, whatever that is this morning, that we will trust you to work out your plans on the backside of what may be an ugly tapestry, but that you're weaving a beautiful, amazing picture together of our lives. That as our Father, you want what's best for us. That because you went to the cross, because you died for us, because you rose again, because you were ascended into heaven and that you sit at the right hand of God the Father, because you intercede for us, Lord Jesus, to the Father, because you've told us that at times we're so frustrated and we're so beyond it that we don't know what to pray, that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And in this moment, Lord, I pray that you would intercede for us and that we would understand, maybe for the first time, that you love us even when we don't understand even when we don't like it even when the answer is no God may our faith and your faithfulness intersect in these moments and would you perform a miracle of healing in our hearts that allows us to trust you to follow you, to be all in, to be sold out, to be radical, to be insanely in love with you, Jesus, and the world around us sees it. God, we, we just humble ourselves. We love you. We know that you've got amazing things for us. And so as we look at our next steps today, God, whatever they might be this morning, that we need to follow you for the first time, that we need to call on your name and be saved, that you'd come into our hearts and our lives, that we'd accept you as our Lord and Savior, that we would allow you to forgive us, that we could walk forever in your presence. Lord, that we need to follow you and just announce to the world through baptism that we are yours that we need to be involved in a life group where we can walk through some of this junk in our lives because we've been doing it for so long by ourselves and it's not working. God, you called us to community. You called us to live lives together, to hold one another up in times of trial and to celebrate with one another in times of victory. To serve in this church, to reach out to our neighbors, to invite and just to love. Whatever those next steps are this morning, God, I pray we'd take them. we trust you with them and that you'll do amazing things in our lives because of it. Lord, we hand it really all over to you this morning and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.